Um, you will not be disappointed. I, I, I won't even do uh, Paul justice to talk him up. I mean, his name alone carries weight in Massachusetts. And so um, he's a gift to the body of Christ in Boston. And so I want to just, just plead with you, show up to church that Sunday. You will be blessed. And then we're going to, um, after the last Sunday of July, we're going to head into a new series called My House. Where we'll be, I'm not really going to give you any information about that. It's going to be good. Uh, just come that Sunday and you'll find out a lot about it. Uh, but today, like I said, um, we are going to wrap up our uh, Controversial Christ series. And um, today we're going to talk about something that may have not been too controversial in Jesus' day, but is somewhat controversial in ours. Uh, you know, and, and let me just put it out there. You know, uh, the, the, the topic of money, <laughs> uh, you came to the right Sunday, okay? Like, you, like why didn't we get, like, you know, a notice that Pastor Daryl was going to talk about Monday? This is why. Uh, you know, because usually people avoid coming to church when the pastor starts talking about money. You know, in the history, which is now, I think we're going into our sixth year, um, But in our history as a church, we've only talked about money maybe four to five times. That's pretty remarkable. And so I only say that to say I'm not as a pastor trying to grab after something. I'm just trying to present the truth so that we can be a whole and healthy body. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Who doesn't want to be a whole and healthy in their faith and in their Christianity? I know I do. And so we are going to talk about money, and luckily we're going to use Jesus to do such. Uh, and the, the, the fact is here is that Jesus talks a great deal about money. He really does. Uh, just about 11 out of 40 parables that Jesus gave in the Gospels were about money. That's about 27.5% of Jesus' teaching. I think I got the percent right for all you math people. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. Okay, I apologize. Uh, But that's that's a fair percentage of time given, attention given, teaching given to the topic of money. Um, Now, it's fascinating to me how Jesus uh, used the topic of money, the subject of money, in his teachings. Uh, When Jesus taught on the subject, he would usually address the separation between what people professed with their lips from what they actually believed in their heart, which ultimately would affect their actions. Sorry, translators. Hope you got all that. Praise God. Um, no, that's hard. I'm sorry. I, I hope you got all that. Uh, but, but essentially, this is how Jesus uses um, his teachings on money. He, he, his intent is to help us understand that sometimes what we profess with our lips uh, doesn't always materialize in affecting our behavior, our actions. For example, I've talked about this several times here at church, the rich young ruler. In Matthew 10, starting in verse 17, you can turn there if you'd like. Here's Jesus in a story where he had an encounter with a man who was wealthy. It says this in verse 17. And as he was sitting, a setting, sorry, out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Hmm. Uh, No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have done, I have kept from my youth. And Jesus said, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have a treasure in heaven and come follow me. Uh, Disheartened by this saying, the man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This is a perfect example, in my opinion, of what I uh, started off by saying. I mean, right, the man lacked one thing according to Jesus. And that was his inability, uh, inabilities to uh, part with his wealth and possession. Uh, there was a real effort, though, on his part, really, if you think about it, to obey God's commandments. I mean, even from his youth, he gave himself to the commandments of God, right? I mean, that's what he said. But Jesus brought this man to a place. And in the place in which Jesus brought him to was kind of Jesus' way of revealing his true values or what he prioritized in his life. And so um, this is tragic, but yet it is common. Uh, even with us today, uh, there's many things that sometimes are hard to do without or part with when it comes to being a Christian. So the story works to give us, if you would, a look into uh, exactly what I said earlier, that when we profess to want something with our lips, but we are kind of like unwilling, if you would, to unattach ourselves from worldly vices. First point, if you're taking notes today, I hope you are. Jesus uses the topic of money as a way to help us realize what we really value and prioritize in our lives. And let me just lead you to a second point, and then we'll get into some more scripture. Uh, Another point that we're going to draw out here in uh, some of Jesus' teaching on finances uh, is that Jesus uses these teachings as a way to reveal what we really believe about eternity. This is where it really gets kind of, it really makes your heart heavy. Turn with me, I believe, to Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21. Just a couple verses here. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. I mean, think about it, right? Who in their right mind, all right, just listen two seconds if you hear nothing else. Who, who in their right mind would store up or lay up for themselves treasures or wealth or riches that could be easily stolen, destroyed, decayed, you know, rusted. You know, who would do that? None of us would. I'm sure in some unique circumstances, maybe. You know, I don't know. I, I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. But ultimately, when it comes to down, down to it, none of us would, would invest, none of us would pour wealth or our riches into something we know ultimately is going to fail, Right? And essentially, that's what Jesus is saying here. 
Now, you may think to yourself that, well, Jesus isn't talking about money, is he? Well, I just will submit to you the words lay up for yourselves uh, treasures in the Hebrew means to gather up, to heap up, to store up, accumulate riches, to keep in store, to store up wealth, to reserve wealth. So Jesus is, in fact, talking about money. And that's a bit hard to uh, take, listen, I just want to preface this whole uh, um, time by saying I'm not trying to s- discourage anyone here from having a savings account. I'm not uh, trying to discourage you from investing and, 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 and kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, bringing some increase to your investments. That's not what I'm talking about. Again, I, I, I'm just trying to lay out what Jesus had to say about money, and, and hopefully it may trigger some things in our hearts of what we value and what we make a priority in our life. Essentially, that's what I'm trying to do. So there's not a problem with having a savings account. There's, there's not a problem with investing your money in the right places in, in, in the hopes that it increases. But yet, if that is your sole priority in the sense that you obsess over it, in the sense that it consumes you, it keeps you up at night, then, well, that's where there's a problem. And even in the sense if you don't think that it's a wise investment to give, to be generous uh, uh, to the church or, uh, uh, or, or to a shelter or whatever it might be, but that... God would have your heart, and in having your heart, have your money. So Jesus is, in fact, talking about money. But, you know, in all honesty, do we really believe? I had to ask myself this question this week. I had to really just ask myself, do I really believe that laying up riches, wealth uh, uh, for myself in heaven, is that actually wiser than accumulating wealth here on earth? I mean, when you kind of think about this, like, it, it, you know, to the natural mind, it doesn't really make sense. But yet to Jesus, it makes total sense. I mean, yeah, I may get 80 to 90 years, and and sure, I want to make and have uh, put aside enough for my family to live comfortably, for sure. But, 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 it's still not eternity. And that's how Jesus kind of, you know, um, comes at the argument. He, He puts in there the understanding, if you would, of eternity. It's not just 80 or 90 years here. It's forever. And, and when you start thinking of that, you're like, well, yeah, I get the logic in that, Jesus. You are a smart man. You know, there was a recent poll that was taken. Uh, I forget um, the organization that took it, but uh, it was taken to uh, just help pastors um, discover or connect with just how many people are actually giving uh, in the local church and a staggering 20, actually under 20% of people actually were giving and sharing some kind of res- uh, a financial responsibility in the church. That's a, that's a good majority of the church, like, out of the loop. I mean, 20%. That, that is extremely, friends, revealing. It's telling. It's, it's sad. 
But there's, there's really, guys, only one way to discover where your heart is in this and where my heart is in this. And that's to ask ourselves the question to get to the bottom of what we actually really think and believe regarding eternity. Because if we had the belief that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew 6, it would change the name of the game in the church. The truth is, and what I'm trying to get to is, we pour our energy, resources, our money, our time, our talent into things that we actually think matter. Let me say that again in case you weren't listening. We as a people uh, pour our energy, pour our resources, pour our money, pour our time and our talent into things that we actually think that matters. And here God, he only requires that we pour these things into that which resonate through eternity. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Let's be honest. That doesn't always measure up. It doesn't always like, make sense in our minds. You know, there is that which we think that matters, and there's that which actually matters. Why does it actually matter? Because Jesus said it matters. Jesus makes those distinctions in Matthew chapter 6. As far as I can see, don't store up for yourself treasures in this earth, but store up for yourself. Lay them up for, uh, for yourself in treasures in heaven. I didn't say that right, and I, excuse me. But here's my point. Usually what we think matters gets all the airtime, gets all the attention. It really does. And while what resonates on through to eternity gets lost in some of the details, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to our money. Thank you. I actually needed that. I was going to ask. You're so prophetic. <laughs> Don't make me laugh. That was a, that was a joke. It's a joke. Let me, let me tell you a story that echoes even to our generation today in Scripture uh, um, and resonates even today, sometime uh, now past. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 15. Is it okay to read 15 verses in a charismatic church? I'm just asking the question. I'm just asking the question. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Some of you, that went right over your head, but others, it stuck. You got there. Um, verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. And I can testify that it was beyond their means. Of their own accord. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in this. Not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. 
But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not to, as a command, excuse me, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Wow, wow. I don't really even have to preach. I'm, I'm sure I got to make sense of this for some of you, but this is remarkable. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this I gave my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it, it may, sorry, be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness as it is written. Now listen, if you hear nothing else. Whoever gathered much had nothing. And whoever gathered little had no lack at all. I put that at all. It's my own version. That's heresy, sorry. Blasphemy. No, uh, some context, right? I mean, we need some context right here. What's going on in this story? Uh, Essentially, just to break it down simply as I can, there's a poor church in Macedonia. I think I'm pronouncing that word right. If I'm not, forgive me. Uh, But they were able, by the grace of God, to raise a significant amount of money for another poor church or group of Christians in Jerusalem. I know, crazy, right? Poor people helping poor people. I mean, this is unbelievable. But Paul says here, if you caught it, that the poverty of this Macedonian, 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 sorry, Macedonian, that's the word, thank you, God, uh, that their poverty was extreme. It ran deep, but yet... Interestingly enough, in their poverty, a joy was palpable. And that joy filled the community and brought about an extreme act of generosity that seemed to take everyone by, well, notice, even Paul was caught off guard, a bit surprised. Now, you may be thinking, as I was when reading it, like, what provokes, what, what brought about such generosity? Now, there's only one thing that I think can bring about this kind of uh, uh, generosity. There's only um, uh, one kind of uh, power at work that could make a poor people joyfully generous. And that is God's grace. (laughs) I mean, when it comes down to it, and we actually will see this, hopefully, um, reflected in the text. That's, that's, That's what I submit to you this morning. Grace was the fuel that empowered this poor church to give when they themselves lacked. 
That's what 2 Corinthians 8, 1 says. If you want to put it back up on the screen, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now we need to understand, I think it's important to understand the kind of grace that, that, that Paul is talking about here. You know, it was just like this uh, supernatural grace to just like, you know, like, oh, there's just a grace to do this. No, it's not that kind of grace. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, a little further down in the same chapter. Here Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Guys, here's what's uh, 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 fueling this generosity. It's the revelation of God's grace in his son, Jesus Christ, that's fueling this generosity. Matter of fact, in the passage that we read, uh, God's uh, grace, or the revelation of God's grace in his son Jesus is meant to fuel a a lot of Christ-exalting behavior. Let me say that again. Uh, In the text, we see that the grace of God in his son Christ is meant to fuel a lot of Christ-exalting behavior. And and let's just throw in uh, to that category where Paul said, you excel in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness. Let's place within that category uh, generosity. Let's place within that, that list of things the grace to be generous and give. Sorry. I love that little red sign. This is a kind of cause and effect thing, right? Um, the reason the church um, uh, has such generosity is that these uh, people are, are connected, are uh, better said, affected by the gospel. You know, this is what Paul says. Jesus emptied himself of his wealth, his riches for our sake. And he became what? Poor that we might become rich. Now, he's not talking about, you know, rich, you know, $100 bill rich. He's not talking about you give $100 in the offering basket and you may get that new boat you want. Or that increased, you know, income that you want. No, Paul is not talking about that kind of wealth at all. He's talking about the wealth of salvation, the wealth of eternal life. Point number two, if you're taking notes, cherishing the gospel produces generosity, period. Not even poverty can get in the way of a heart that cherishes grace. Let me say that again. Not even poverty You may be sitting in your seat, hey, I have nothing to give. Are you listening to my sermon? (laughs) Neither did these poor folks. But their giving superseded the giving of the Corinthian church, which at the time was one of the most wealthiest churches. That's remarkable. 
That is profound. Nothing, not even poverty, can get in the way of a heart that cherishes grace. Nothing can hold that kind of love back from pouring itself out. Guys, today, I just submit to you, our issues with giving has nothing to do with um, lack or trust. It has nothing to do with our concerns of, you know, is the church mishandling my money? It has nothing to do with, is 10% of my income really to go to the church? That has nothing irrelevant to the conversation. It is so hijacked, the conversation, but it has nothing to do with it. If you're tired, as I am tired, with those distractions and excuses, and if you desire to break free from fear, and you want to become a generous person, then start cherishing the gospel. You think Jesus counted the cross when he died for sinners? Well, they are sinners. Why am I going to the cross? He's going to continue to sin. No. He goes. He dies. We're not to consider the costs of, or the concerns about this principle, that commandment. Are they handling my money right? We're just to be obedient to God. He will take care of the rest. Thank you, Daryl. You're preaching really well. Thank you, Daryl. Um. Here's my point. The gospel changes everything. Everything. Period. A lot of periods going around today. Verse 3 in the same chapter. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means. And their own, I'm sorry, of their own accord. Begging us. Begging us. They're, they're not just, you know, here Paul is trying to remind the church of Corinth something that they wanted to commit themselves to. But yet, the church here in Macedonia was saying, we want to be involved with this. So they're begging poor people, begging to give to poor people. For the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints in this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So there's a visible eagerness, isn't there? There's a visible, tangible eagerness to go above and beyond there, there are two reasons why I come to that conclusion. One is that, um, well, <laughs> I just had a brain cramp, sorry. Has that ever happened to you? No. Probably not. <laughs> well, one of the reasons is, back to what I was saying, is that they gave beyond their means, right? That's, that's extravagant, you know, um, and now this would be remarkable if the people were wealthy, right? I mean, I don't know, like, like the story in Corinth, like, I, I, I don't remember actually what and if they followed through. I'm sure they did um, with giving to the uh, struggling church in Jerusalem. But, I mean, it wouldn't be, a, a, you know, powerful if, if, if the, there was absence of, of poverty. I mean, the thing that makes this story so precious is that this church in Macedonia was poor. So they clearly went beyond the limits of what they could afford. This is a true testament, I think, to the power of the gospel. Can have even on stingy, greedy people. You know, if the gospel can affect a poor person to give, 
then what can it do to a person who has wealth? I mean, if you're cherishing it, what, what, how would that really affect the kingdom of God? I'm sure it would be profound. Secondly, while I've come to that conclusion, is they are desperate to be involved. They're, 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 they're begging to jump in and help this struggling church in Jerusalem. They're not doing well financially. It would almost make sense if Paul was doing the same thing for them that he was doing for the church in Jerusalem, wouldn't it? I mean, like, when you think about it, something that should be noted here in verse 5 is when Paul says they first, this church in Macedonia, first gave themselves to the Lord. So before they do anything, they seek the Lord. Can, can I just submit to you, your uh, giving, your generosity always needs to filter through, channel through uh, uh, a deep connection, uh, 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 prayer, uh, 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 just, you know, God, what do you want me to give? It should always first go to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is far more generous than you. I mean, think about the depth of God's generosity, right? John uh, 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. When God gives, he gives big, doesn't he? He gives real big. I mean, he is the author of the words, it's more blessed uh, to give than it is to receive. These are the words of Christ. And so the, the fact is that our giving should always channel, it should always first be brought to, go through the Lord. God, how much do you want me to give? It was so precious what George said today. Because our initial response to giving is always like, you know, as little as we can. How many are, 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 are that kind of Christian? I, I can, listen, my giving in my 20s was pathetic. I would tell you some stories. You want to hear some stories? These are real funny. My wife doesn't even know them because I'm scared to tell her. She's a scary woman. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to impress Bethany, who in my eyes was a sort of Mother Teresa kind of, ah, when she walked into a room, everybody, it just seemed like everyone was like, the sky opened up. A dove came down. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it, it, she, you know, so I'm always trying to oppress her, impress her. And, and I, I, I want, um, oppressed? Did I say oppressed? I may have done some of that too. I don't know. I'm sure there was plenty of that happening also. But uh, no, truth story, I would always try to impress her. And, and, and she was, well, she was a giver. She was a generous person. And so, you know, when the offering basket came by, I'm like seeing her, you know, put her offering in and, and whatnot. And I think uh, the first time I saw this, I, I took like a $1 bill. You ever doing that? Like the, the kind of just like, you know, your girlfriend knows you're making bank because she knows the job that you have. And the only thing you bring out of your, your, your pocket is a dollar bill and you crumple it up. You like crumble it so nobody can see it. Like nobody can see that it's only a dollar here. Um, there were times that I would, um, I would not take anything out. I would lick an envelope and stick it in the basket just so I could 
give off the appearance as if, look at me, I'm generous, I'm holy. Or, or better yet, electronic giving. You know, just change that one number, you know? Like, she'll never know. Like, she doesn't see. I'll just, I'll just put the wrong uh, valid through on there. Or just, uh, you, know, uh, you know, just be off one number in the card, you know, the numbers in the card. And, and, and that was kind of the game I played. I wasn't serious about giving. It was rather pathetic. And it's funny, you know, but it, it was really sad. It, it's tragic, actually. It's really tragic, you know, but, it, but it's not just tragic because of games I played with it. It's tragic because I didn't value it. I didn't see it as a thing that God valued. I, I kind of neglected that, that God cared very much about where my money went to and how I supported or if I supported or tithed or gave. God cared very much. Because the issue is more than just my opinions about giving or my, you know, a, a fear of, 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 of opening my hands and just saying, Lord, this is yours. It was a, a, a tied to a much deeper issue. And, and that was how much the gospel was really getting a hold of my heart. Because here's my third point. A gospel-centered people have a way of going overboard, especially when it comes to generosity. You can't help but really take in and absorb what Christ has done for us and it not affect you in any way. And this is, I think, even more so true when it comes to generosity and giving. Why? Because, well, God gave His Son. And so my, my, my monies can't even... My monies, I just... Was that like Frodo Baggins? I don't know. Like, where did that come from? Gollum, what, what? But, but the money I gave could never touch, never reach the extravagant outpouring of grace God gave to us in His Son Christ Jesus. And so I've come to a place now uh, that the gospel has more of my heart to say, I want to be like that man. I'll never get to die on a tree for the sins of humanity, thank God. And that, you know, that, just place that there. You can think about, you know, and, and come to your own conclusions with that statement. But, um, but I can be extravagant in the way that I give. I can be extravagant in the way that I serve. I can be extravagant in the way that I love my wife. In the way that I, uh, uh, whatever, the things that we do. We can go over the top when it comes to those things. And I, I, I want to be over the top. The gospel has compelled me to do such. You know, people who live by this code um, in all things uh, are extravagant. They give costly um, acts, you know, of worship, and, and, and even specifically in their giving. Um, you know, people like this don't really consider the price tag. They really don't consider the cost of their behavior and their actions. You know, it's kind of like the woman who uh, poured out that costly perfume on Jesus' feet, isn't it? And it's, it's funny how, you know, some of Jesus' homies were even criticizing that act. You know, that's kind of what religion does. It continually keeps a record, if you would, um, of, of their giving, and it demonizes uh, extravagant behavior of the generous Jesus follower. 
the generous worshiper hardly ever gives thought to their behavior. They're constantly, constantly consumed with the thinking, how much more can I give? Now, we need to break that out of just money. That's just in life. I want to pour it all out, Jesus. But don't for one moment water down that that is not tied to your wealth or your money. It goes right over to what is, or what you feel, I should say, is yours and no one else's. It's God's. Religious people criticize the actions and the behaviors of uh, that kind of worship. They, they, they often say it's unbalanced, it's irresponsible. After all, uh, they could have done anything with that wealth. They could have helped the poor rather than wasted on Jesus. While the worshiper sees the act as the only thing fitting for someone so worthy. You know, we can argue until the cows come home, and I've done it, um, the whole cows. I, I heard that once from my mom. I'm sorry if you can't connect. You're like, cows come home? What is he talking about? Um, but we, we can argue um, over, you know, is tithing something that is, uh, the New Testament requires? Um, but, but what we cannot argue is what we see in the New Testament um, regarding generosity, right? I mean, here's the thing. Um, generosity here, guys, will always outdo percentages. Amen. And that's what the New Testament is all about. It's not about just some code of, like, ethics, something to kind of, it's just like, oh, better give my 10%. It, it go, the, the grace compels us to do far more. And we're just talking about money, so I'll just I'll lay it there. Far more than 10%. It's all about the heart. So, three things in closing I want to leave with you this morning. Again, Jesus uses the topic of money as a way to help us realize what we really value and prioritize. He also uses these teachings as a way to reveal what we really believe about eternity. And last... Cherishing the gospel produces generosity. You know, in our history, now I, I opened the beginning of this talk today by saying um, we've only probably talked about the issue of giving and generosity maybe uh, four or five times, I think, in our history. We're five years old. We're going into our sixth year, I believe. Um, and so a lot of that has uh, been due to some of the fear that I have as a pastor to come across as some kind of money grabber. And, and if, that's, if, if that's the way you're taking this morning, I feel bad for you. I, I do. I really sympathize with you. Because that is not this at all. That, 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 this is just us trying to be true to the book, trying to be true to the teachings of Jesus. And, and, and bet your bottom dollar, no pun intended, <laughs> money's on the table. It, it is for Jesus. Why? Because nothing comes before Jesus. 
Everything comes after Jesus. And essentially, that's his goal. That's his aim when he talks about money. Because he knows the power of the green dollar bill and the influence it has over our life. And if we're going to be a people that have no others before him, you bet your bottom dollar that money also is part of the system of what we easily make an idol in our lives. And I just want to, as a church, be free. You know, I, I, I don't, I, I, you know, starting this church, it has just kind of steered my ship into becoming more and more like Christ. You know, the interesting thing, I don't like talking about money. It gives me the hives. I mean, I just, you know, I don't even give tips when we go to restaurants. I'm like, I, you know, because I'm always undercutting. I'm always like, give her $5. Well, she waited on like 13 people. Give her $5. So now I just like, babe, take it. You're far more generous than me. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, I'm sure there was something. But I believe that Um, God wants Hilltop Church to be a generous church. And and I'm not even saying the way that that generosity um, affects our local church. I'm just just going after, you know, uh, the spirit of generosity in general. And I'm not even talking really uh, at, at this moment about money even. I'm talking about being generous with your time. It's so hard to get people to plug in and to serve. It's like, oh my goodness, really? Do I have to do that? It's one day out of the week. Uh, you know, uh, how many people have in this room have talents that need to be untapped for the building up and the edifying of the body, but yet I just don't have time. You know, how much here, are, how many people here in this room have resources, have wealth that could really take this church into a new direction of effective preaching the gospel in our city? I'm sure there's some. God has given us an opportunity, and it's this, the steward. That which is his, and today that is money. And so I'm going to pray for us this morning. And I'm going to believe that by the grace of God, some of us are going to get free from fear. You know, and that some of us are actually going to take steps. We're not just going to hear um, the word, but we're going to do, we're going to live it out. We're actually going to... um, Make decisions to, 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 to start living different and giving and being generous. And so, Father, I, I've done my best. I've done my best to submit some truths here in Scripture. And so now I count on your spirit to do the rest of the work. Right now, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would set people free from fear. God, I I ask, Lord, that you would set them free from fear and give them an unmovable, unshakable trust in you. Father, I I, I pray, Lord, that in this upcoming year, in this the rest of the summer and going into the fall, I pray, Lord, that Hilltop would be a generous church, God, with their time, talent, their resources, their money. Father, I ask God that you would turn the ship, God, that we would set new records in our giving, God. 
Lord, that we wouldn't just fall within that, uh, that percentage, Lord, of under 20%, but Lord, we would so go beyond that everybody would feel the weight and financial responsibility of the church. I pray, God, that you would use, multiply, and bless our giving. I pray, Lord, that you would add unto us as we trust you, either here on earth or in heaven, God, when you establish your kingdom, Jesus. Father, help us. Help us, God. Set us free from the spirit of this age and create within us a new heart, a new heart of generosity. In Jesus' name I pray.